How are y'all doing this morning? Okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm happy that we're all here. The rain did not put us to sleep. It almost put me to sleep, almost slept through my alarm. That's okay. Um, my name is Nathan. I am the Connection and College Pastor here at Hope. I realize I say that every single time I speak, and yet you may not even know what the Connection Pastor is. So I figured I probably should explain that. Uh, the Connection Pastor basically is if you are looking to get involved with community here at Hope, I'd be the person to talk to, the College Pastor. Hopefully we can figure that one out on our own. Um, but this month particularly for Connection Groups has been an extremely um, exciting month for me as we've had a group of people going through our growth track. It's where you kind of learn about how to become and belong through loving God and making disciples and loving others. I said that out of order, but that's fine. Um, tonight we have our very first Connect Night ever. It is a night for anyone and everyone who is wanting to experience a deeper community with God and each other. You can do that just by coming here tonight, signing up. Um, it's going to be a really, really good night and we're expecting something amazing from it. As well as we have this series. It's a two-part series called Better Together. Uh, Pastor Mark preached last week on becoming. And this week, I'm excited to be talking about the topic of belonging. Um, belonging to a community, specifically. So let's just start off nice and easy. Can everyone just say the word community? You guys are fantastic. We're starting off great. Yeah, community. I realize that when we say that word, it can be a loaded word for some of us in the room today, right? Uh, for some, it brings back amazing memories, and they love every single aspect of it. Uh, for others, it gives them like church PTSD, and their palms start getting sweaty, right? And then for others in the room or watching from church at home um, today, you know, it, it may, you may not really even understand why that word should hold so much weight in your life. Wherever you're coming from today, I really want to level the playing field, so to speak, as we get into this conversation of community, because I think that it's important that we all approach this topic today with an open and expecting heart. So to even the playing field, or level the playing field, whatever the saying goes, I want to talk about fast food. Weird maybe to say that, but just hang with me. I want to do a quick survey. I want you all to imagine your favorite fast food restaurant. Now remember, fast food to me, that is, it's fast, otherwise it's just food, right? And then for me, this is the other stipulation, there's a drive-thru. So imagine your favorite fast food restaurant with a drive-thru, and I want you to imagine how long would you be willing to wait in line at a drive-thru before you just decided to drive off? Everybody got a number in mind? Kind of? Okay, everyone just go ahead and put your hands up, and let's do this. Everyone go ahead and put your hands up. Sweet. <laughs> Okay, if you are only willing to wait in that drive-thru line for five minutes or less, put your hand down. No! Right off the bat, we have some impatient... Five minutes! So you guys have driven off at a lot of places. Oh my gosh. Uh, what about ten minutes or less? Put your hand down. Okay, I was expecting some. Uh, I already, I'm so scared of what we're going to get up to. 20 minutes or less, go ahead and put your hands down. Yeah, I thought that would be a lot of us. 20 minutes or less, you're thinking about it? We're going to stay up. All right, let's just do this. If you're willing to wait in line for 30 minutes or more, keep your hand up. 30 minutes or more. Anyone? We, one, two. Jordan, Jordan, you're lying. I know you're lying. There's no way. All right, we know, we know who needs to repent today. Um, no, so for me, I'd say it's 10 minutes or less. It's fast food. It's a drive-thru. I'm not getting out of my car because I have to get somewhere. I'm in a hurry, so I don't want to get out of my car. Now, this gets tested a lot for me, specifically at the Chick-fil-A right down the road. I don't know if anyone else can relate, and I'm sorry to just about to go on a 10-second rant about your precious Chick-fil-A, but Chick-fil-A like a month and a half ago, I waited like 25 minutes in the drive-thru to get my food. From the moment my car got into the drive-thru to when I had my food, it was 25 minutes. Maybe you're thinking, Nathan, did you drive off? No, I didn't, because they trap you in there. 
Or you get your car in there and it's like, once you're in, you're in. You're not getting out. They're, they're evil geniuses, right? Like, they put these curves up, beautiful shrubs. It's, all, it's, not, it's not just aesthetically pleasing. It's so that they trap you in there. That's the real purpose behind all of that. And I know maybe some of you guys can empathize with me, maybe in the thought process of, how expensive are those shrubs to replace? Like, if I just drove over those, would I get arrested? I have some friends in the sheriff department. I could maybe get some, you know, strings pulled or whatever. I've obviously always stayed in line, and I had to stop ranting because we could talk about this for the next 30 minutes. I'm very passionate about fast food. But the point of all of this is, do you think that just because I've had that bad experience at Chick-fil-A that I never go back to Chick-fil-A? No, of course not. Chick-fil-A is delicious. It's Jesus' chicken. He has blessed that chicken, Right? Or even to take it on a broader sense, do you think that just because I have one bad experience at a restaurant that I no longer eat at any restaurant whatsoever? No, because we know that it is one specific restaurant that we had one bad experience with, and so we know that not every single restaurant is going to be like that. But I think that when it comes to community in our life, here we are, when it comes to community in our life, a lot of times we experience one bad community. And I'm not talking about just groups at church. I'm talking about community of believers as a whole. We experience one bad community and we say, that's it. I'm done with it. I just can't go back to it. I I don't want the drama. I don't want to commit to it anymore. I've had too many bad experiences. I'm done. And so today, as we start this conversation All I ask is that we give, in this conversation, the same level of grace to Jesus and his church as we do to Jesus and his chicken. All right? Can we all do that this morning? Yeah, I think that this is going to be a really powerful sermon just because I think that we're going to go through some of these questions I think we have about community in our our life. And I think these three questions are, do I really need community? What's the difference about this community? And what's the purpose of community? community. Three questions that I believe have loaded answers. And before we jump in today, um, would you guys just please pray with me and also for me? Um, Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come to you. Um, God, just to worship you in this capacity. God, I pray that as we approach this topic of community, no matter where we all are coming from today in the room, God, that you will Break down our heart and allow us just to see what you are calling us to, God, what you are commanding us to. God, we thank you for this time. We love you. Let me pray. Amen. All right, so I think the question that we really have to start with today is, do I really need community? Because if the answer is no to that question, then obviously we can all just go home and you can click off your TV. But obviously we do need community. That's why we're here today. Um, and there is a lot of places in Scripture that I was thinking about going in as to frame the answer to this question. But I wanted to go specifically all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Now to preface this whole sermon really quickly, uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of different pieces of scripture because I wanted to get a holistic idea about what God is saying about community. So just warm up your fingers and let's start up at Genesis 2.18. God says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. A short verse, but this word in its context, you have to understand that here the man is Adam and he is alone and yet he's walking in the garden with God. This is before the fall. No sin has entered the world. He is in perfect communion with God in this, in the context of this verse. John Ortberg, an incredible author, writes, what is striking is that the fall has not yet occurred. There's no sin, no disobedience, nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. The human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God, yet the word God uses to describe him is alone. And God says that this aloneness is not good. 
I get to this verse, and I kind of start thinking to myself, what? How could this be, right? Adam is walking in perfect community. He has a relationship with God that none of us have truly had to be walking with the living God and seeing him as you are seeing me right now. Adam is in a state of perfectness, and yet he still feels alone. I can't tell you how many times I have wished that I was in Adam's shoes before the fall, of course, um, where I could just be walking with God or how, ex- how expectant I am for when we get to heaven and we get to see him face to face. But when I get to this verse, I start to think, well, what else could there be? Isn't this relationship with God what we're working towards, this perfect relationship that Adam had with him? Isn't that what we're working towards? And the truth is, is that in this word alone, it's not that he's saying that God wasn't enough for Adam. He's saying that God designed him a little differently. I think that's an important distinction for us to make today. Uh, I think there's a song that says there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. I think that's, is that in the movie Bruce Almighty? I think that's in the movie Bruce Almighty. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us. Um, But I think there's there's something else that we see in this passage, and that is that there's a human-shaped hole in all of us too. That Adam was in a perfect relationship with God and, was, and yet was still feeling alone because God created him not to be just in a community with God, but also in a community with other people. And he's not going to be complete until he is experiencing community with both God and others. First John 1, 3-4 says this, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy is made complete. Our purpose is made complete. We start to become who God has created us to be when we are experiencing community with God and with each other. And this brings us to our next question, because I believe that even if we believe and know that we have been created for community, as we can say today, if we don't understand the specific type of community that God has created us for, we can miss out on the point of all of this. Because I think everyone, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian in the room today, whether you are a believer or a non-believer watching from church at home today, no matter where you fall, I feel, I I believe that every single person feels a desire to be known and loved. Every single person, no matter who you are, feels a desire to be known and loved. But as Christians, we will only fulfill that desire when we are known and loved in the specific community that God has created us for. As Christians, we will only fulfill that desire when we are known and loved in the specific community that God has created us for. So what's different about this type of community? Because maybe you're in the room today and you're watching from church at home and you're thinking, Nathan, I don't need this sermon. Okay, I have friends. We go bowling. We have a great time. I have a lot of good friends. You know, we hang out all the time. I have barbecues at my house. I have community. Okay, or maybe you're even thinking, Nathan, I have a family. My family's good. Uh, We hang out all the time. You know, family is my everything and we're good. And what I want to say really quickly and preface is that while friends and family are an important and amazing gift of grace that we have to prioritize in our life. And also, I'm not saying that the community that God has created us for, it's not that they're not going to be our friends or our family. Oftentimes they are. But what I'm saying is that oftentimes we substitute this community that we have been created for with friends and family. We say, 
my friends, you know, are my community, and they make me feel loved, and, and they know me, and so that, that's fulfilling it. And, and we do it just because, it, and, and I do it too if I'm being honest, because it's easier to hang out with people who are similar to you, that you have tons of affinities with, with people who I would be hanging out with whether or not I was a Christian, because I have the same common denominators. I don't know if you guys remember what a common denominator is. I might get tongue-tied saying common denominator the next 10 times, but... A common denominator and the Pythagorean theorem are the two things that I remember from math class in like seventh grade, and I'm using one of them not even in math-related purposes. But anyways, the common denominator, I think, is used in fractions so that you can add and subtract fractions. And a fraction cannot be added together unless they have a common denominator. We're doing really basic stuff today, aren't we? But a fraction cannot be added together unless they have the same common denominator. And I think it's the same when it comes to the relationships in our life. You're not going to go out and get coffee with someone that you don't have anything in common with. You're not going to go out on a date with someone that you know you have nothing in common with, right? We look for those common denominators so that we can step into a relationship with them. And so then we have to get to this question where we go, okay, so what's the difference between all of those common, common denominators, like liking the same sports teams, having similar hobbies, living in the same area, working at the same place, the list could go on and on. What's the difference between all of those common denominators and the common denominator that unites the body of, the body of Christ? Let's look at Romans 12, 4 through 5 to answer that. Paul writes, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Go ahead and underline that phrase, in Christ. And individually members, one of another. Paul here is saying a lot. He's saying that we're both unique individuals, but yet we have been created uniquely so that we can fit into a specific function into the body of Christ. But here he says a phrase that he repeats in a lot of other passages, like Galatians 3, 27 and 28, and Colossians 3, verse 11. He says this phrase, in Christ. It's a phrase, John Piper writes, that means that everything that Christ has and is, is yours in him. Outside of his deity. We're not talking about little g gods today, okay? Everything that Christ is and has is yours in him. And when, there are, when there's more than one person in Christ, then they are sharing in all that Christ is and has. So it means that if you're a believer in the room today, you and I are sharing in the redemption given to us, in the justification made for us, in the forgiveness gifted to us, in the sanctification process that we are walking out, in the eternity that we are living in right now. We are sharing in all of that because we are sharing in all that Christ is and has. It's a powerful truth for us today. And this sharing in Christ is enough to unite us more than anything has the power to divide us. It's a powerful truth today that in all of these other relationships in our life, we need so many of these affinities, right? Like, I wasn't going to get married to Cassie just because um, we both liked basketball. That's not enough. And if you're in the room today dating someone just because you guys both like basketball, maybe start looking for some more affinities or something like that. We needed more than just that, right? In relationships, friendships, you need more than just liking the same sports teams or working at the same place. You need all these things. And yet what Paul here is saying is that by sharing in Christ, Christ is enough to unite us. 
Christ alone is enough to unite us. We don't need all of these other things in common for to make you my brother or my sister. But just in the fact that we share in all that Christ is and has, that is enough. So when we ask, well, what's the difference about this community? The difference is that in this community, the thing that unites us is Jesus. And he's enough to unite us for all of eternity, not just for a couple of years. Friendships can come and go as you leave areas, leave workplaces. Friendships change. Family is not literally forever because family people pass away. And yes, it's sad, but they pass away and they are not forever. And yet God's church is an eternal life-giving constant in our life. In the midst of all of these temporary things, God's church, the people in this room today, and everyone else in the world who believes and is in Jesus is an eternal and life-giving constant in our life because of what they're sharing in Jesus. So it leads me to the last and final question, I think, of what's the purpose behind this community? What should we even be trying to do? Is it really just so that I can have more friends? Is it so that I can gain more brothers and sisters? What's the purpose behind all of this? And I believe we should turn to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 today to answer this question. And in the prior verses to this, Paul has been talking about this idea of unity. And that we are truly united under a common Christ and that in that we should be united through everything. It sounds familiar because that's what we've been talking about for the past 20-ish minutes. And so when we get to verse 11 though, he starts talking about what the purpose of that unity is. What is the purpose of having unity through community in Christ? Verse 11 he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ until we are becoming like Christ. That's that becoming journey that Pastor Mark was talking about last week. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I know it's a lengthy passage. I hope you paid attention to all of it because it's so good. This passage contains so many purposes for us individually of why we should be in community so that we can become more mature mature believers, so that we can grow in our knowledge of Christ, so that we can act more like Jesus, so that we can be better equipped in sharing the gospel. But in all of these things, in all of these individual purposes of community in our life, Paul is focusing on a broader purpose for community in our lives. That it's not just about me becoming, but it's about the church becoming. That it, my faith and my understanding of community in my life, it's not just for me, but it's for the entirety of the body. It's not a private, self-bettering lifestyle so that I can become more like Jesus. It's a lifestyle of me loving God and loving others so that I can become who God created me to be by belonging in a community that he's created me for so that the church can be built up. 
He uses that phrase multiple times, uh, building up, growing up, and builds itself up. It's a phrase that defines the purpose of our community, of the community that we have each individually been created for and we fit into. So that the church, the big C church, God's people can be built up. And it's not only for our own sake. Us becoming is not just for us. Because Paul says here, if one part is not working properly, then it can hinder the church from doing what it was called to do. And I'm not taking God's sovereignty out of play. I'm not taking the spirit and his working. I am just merely pointing out the fact that Paul is emphasizing our responsibility in light of God's sovereignty and his call in our life. To build up the church to become more like Christ so that the church can function as it was created to do, so that it can be working properly, he says. And in all of this, I think we can start to feel a tension because we go, man, that's a lot of things for me to do, right? Like, that, that's so much for me to do. But look at what he says in the very last two words of uh, 16. He says, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. In love. Jesus commands something of us in John 13, 34 through 35, which helps to provide a broader picture on what he's talking about when he says, in love. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think it's in this part where we start to feel a strong tension. What does this love mean? Who am I supposed to love? Is it really everyone? When do I show truth? When do I show grace? And I can say this today. You can hear it every Sunday. And I know we hear it every Sunday because Pastor Mark drives into the point that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Because that is a fundamental part of the gospel message. And yet we struggle with this because when it comes to community, we carry baggage in our lives. That there are potential barriers that block us from being and experiencing community with both God and each other. So to illustrate this, I'm going to have a couple people come up. Well, Morgan's going to help uh, carry it, and Drew, wherever Drew is in the room today, if Drew can come up. Thank you, Drew. Uh, Drew's a, a solid, young Christian man, single, uh, just fantastic. Sorry, I didn't mean to do like that. Uh, you know, anyways, he's coming up, and then Morgan, wherever Morgan is, I guess Drew and I can carry this too, though. Never mind, Morgan's over there. Hello. We got a barrier that's coming, and you can go ahead and take down that sheet. And I believe that These barriers in our life, uh, they may seem trivial to some of us while logical to others and logical to some of us while trivial to others. But the important thing to know is that there are barriers in our life from being in community with both God and each other. You see those? Heck yeah. No, you're, you're perfect through Jesus. Okay, so. There are these barriers in our life, and Drew, thank you, Morgan. Drew's going to represent this barrier. He's actually just going to stand behind this barrier for like seven minutes silently. So you got a really hard job today. Stand a little bit farther back. Okay, so we have all of these barriers in our life that block us from being in community. And so when I started to think about what could these barriers be for all of us in the room today, I came up with a really honest list that I think we need to talk about today. And I need to make sure, there we go. I think the first barrier in our life to being in community with others is that when we see someone who we could potentially be in community with, we say, eh, they're just too weird. I said it was going to be an honest list, and I think that that's a really honest one, right? They're just too weird. We don't have anything in common. They're so different from me. I can already imagine a conversation with them right now, and it is the most awkward thing in the entire world. 
they're just too weird for me. Or maybe even it would hurt my public image to be seen with them. That's a valid, not valid, but that is an excuse in our life. That is a barrier in our life to being in community with someone. I think the next one, let's find it. I think the next barrier, and this I think is a very real one, is I have kids. Maybe some parents in the room are like, yeah, that's a barrier, all right. That I'm not saying kids are a bad thing, and I'm not saying that we are not supposed to have kids. Absolutely, be fruitful and multiply. That's a pretty easy command in the Bible to see time and time again. But kids are a complex barrier in our life because when you start to hang out with multiple people, or if you're trying to come together just to support each other or comfort each other, then you have to be conscious of little Timmy's bedtime is at 7.30, but then he also has to be woken up at 9.30 to be fed. And then you have Timmy, Tommy or whatever, Tommy, and he's in second grade, you know, and, and he's got baseball until... 8 o'clock at night, so it's really not a great time because we're putting Timmy to bed at 7.30, and then he's got baseball. And then we have Tina, who's in fifth grade, and then you have four other couples who are all going through the same thing. So then what do you say? This does not make sense. Our family's good enough. God is enough for us, right? And we say it just doesn't fit into our schedule. And I think that that brings up the next really big one, and maybe we can all say this together. I don't have the time. Raise your hand if you've ever said that before in the room today. I don't have the time. I don't have enough time. I, wow, that is mostly everyone. We got a couple of people who are like, I have enough time. We're good. Okay, you guys are really kicking it right now. I'm just going to say that. Uh, I don't have the time. I believe time, that this barrier is one of the biggest, if not the biggest barrier to experiencing community with each other, but also with God. And to preface this statement, I do not want to make anyone in the room feel guilty today, but I also want to say that the word conviction means that there is a pointed out problem that we did not realize was a problem until somebody pointed it out. And so time, we say we don't have enough time. We wish we had more time. There's a really good book about this, actually multiple, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge, and then there's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. All Johns, which is kind of weird to me, but anyways... It's in the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that he says a statement that I think defines the scariness of the saying, I don't have enough time. He says, what you spend your time on is who you become. What you spend your time on is who you become. You've heard it maybe different ways, like what you prioritize in your life is the most important thing to you, or you make time for the things that are important to you. That this is a scary statement because what you spend your time on is who you become. It becomes a little scary when there are some facts out there like the average American spends 705 hours a year on social media or 2,737 hours watching TV. And one, one study, I'm not harping on guys, but one study says that by the age of 21, the average guy will have spent 10,000 hours playing video games. None of those things are bad. I'm not the preacher ever going, Satan is the TV. Stay away from the TV. It's Satan. I'm not, I'm not up here doing any of that. I am saying, though, that if any of those things are blocking you from being and experiencing a community with God and with other believers, then that's when it's an issue in our life. To make it more personal, not like to you guys, but to me, about six months ago, in the middle of, I want to say it was probably in the middle, was six months ago quarantine. Whenever six months ago was, I started realizing I was saying this phrase a lot. I don't have the time. 
to be in the word. I just, I don't have the time to, to spend time with God. I, I was going through a season of about two weeks where I really, really had not even opened the Bible too much more than, you know, a couple minutes in the morning just to check it off the list. And I felt like I really hadn't even felt God's presence in two weeks. And I was getting really down and depressed because I was like, where is God right now? Why is he not with me? And then I, and then I think it's a Sunday when Apple releases your like, you know, your time, whatever. And I looked down and it said six hours. And I was like, oh, my. that's being honest with you guys. It's like six hours. And I kind of got sick to my stomach. Because in that moment, I realized that I was spending an hour and a half on Twitter, an hour and a half on Instagram, an hour and a half on Facebook, and then an hour and a half on like Madden Mobile because it's just a fun game. And all of these things, right, is being honest. <laughs> I was spending all of this time on things that do not matter in the kingdom of God, things that I love. Twitter is my wife's and my love language. We, sent, we used to send each other all of these fun videos like four or five times a day. That's how we communicated. We did not communicate through text or Snapchat. It was Twitter. I love those things, right? But the problem was I loved them a little too much. And there comes a point in our life when we have to stop and we have to look and we have to say, what am I doing that is keeping me from God and can I control it? Is it something that I can get rid of? Because I think that there are things in our life that are taking up our time, that are idols, that are addictions, and we don't recognize them as that. Drew, you're doing great back there. Thank you. I have not forgotten about you. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, and please don't take it that way. I'm saying that if any of those things are taking time away from experiencing community with God and with each other, it's an issue. I believe that there are barriers in our life that we can control or work through, but only if what we think is on the other side is important enough. If you don't think spending time with God is important, then there's no reason to go through the barrier. If, there's, if you don't think that other believers are important to you, there's no, t- there's no reason to go through the barrier, right? In this list of barriers in our life, the list could go on and on. Well, Nathan, I'm just an introvert. God created me to hate people, and so I'm just not called to be in community with them, right? Like, that's just how I was created. I'm, I'm different, I guess. Or maybe I've just had too many bad experiences, and honestly, I'm just sick of it, and I just don't even want to try anymore, and it's just, it's just so exhausting. Or maybe even I'm scared of commitment and you know what that's that's something that I we hear a lot and that's totally fine but you know we're committed to a relationship with God you're in eternity now if you're a believer with everyone else so you might as well get to know them now right or maybe even there's just too much drama I love it in movies but I hate it in my life there's just too much drama all of these things are barriers to some of us in our life to experiencing community with others but the problem is I'm not trying to, you know, invalidate any of these experiences or say that I don't feel your pain or make us feel guilty for not spending 24 hours a day reading our Bible or being in a prayer circle singing Kumbaya. I'm trying to get us to understand that community in our life with other believers and with God is not a choice. It is something that we have been created for and commanded to by Jesus. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, love just as I have loved you. Can you imagine if God, to any of us, when he saw the barrier of sin in our life, used any of these excuses? Yeah, Nathan is way too weird. I am not saving him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, have, I already have enough kids, right? Like 2.2 billion. It's, that's enough for me. Or uh, I just don't have the time. 
I'm like trying to help out like 50,000 other people right now and it just doesn't really fit him. He didn't use any of those excuses. The barrier of sin that was between us and God was a million miles higher and a million miles deeper and yet the love that he had for us was still enough to break through those barriers because what he thought was on the other side of that barrier was important. That because nothing can separate him from us because of the love that he has for us and because now we have that love residing in us, in us now we are in Christ. We are sharing in all that Christ is and has and that means his love. That we're called to love others as he loved us sacrificially, selflessly, laying down our life for our brother daily just as we lay our life down for Christ daily or attempt to. And so when we see these barriers, we don't just go... Nah, not getting through. No, we go. Right? The love of Christ should compel us to go through those things. I feel like I just ripped this shirt. I have fiberglass up in my arms right now. <laughs> you okay? I didn't really give you much warning. <laughs> I didn't even really tell him what I was doing. I just said, stand behind the wall. <laughs> But the love of Christ should compel me. It should cause me. The love of Christ is the catalyst in my life to break down any barrier that would be between me and my brother or my sister. Because I'm not called to just walk away from anything that's hard. I'm called to step through it, grab him, and walk alongside of him in this sanctification process that we are in. Because that is what I am called to do. That's how I love him. I don't love him by just letting barriers constantly be built up. You're doing great still. I love him. I love him by stepping into the muck and the messiness of his imperfect life, just as every single one of us are. I have an understanding that relationships are going to be hard because people are hard. You can sit down. Thank you. Wonderful, Drew. Just thank you. The truth is, is that I'm out of breath. I swung too hard. The truth is, is that the love of Christ has the power to unite more than any other thing has the power to divide us. So when that there is a barrier in our life because sin did not separate me from God forever, any barrier cannot separate me from my brother or sister forever. And look at what Jesus says in John again. He says, by this love, they will know, they, non-believers, other people will know that you are my disciples. It's more than just our becoming that's at stake. It's the credibility of the gospel that's at stake. Because if we say that we are saved and we have the love of Christ residing in us and yet we have differences or hindrances that are blocking us from being in community that do not matter in the kingdom of God, then the hard truth of the matter is that either the gospel doesn't have the power to unite the most divided things or we never had the love of Christ that is the catalyst for community in our hearts to begin with. That's a big statement. Do you think that either the gospel that Jesus can't unite the most divided people, that his grace is not enough to bridge every single gap? Or do, or do we have to realize that maybe we just don't have the love of Christ residing in us? But that's why it constantly and continually comes back to this idea of community. Because when I'm not loving someone well, I can have five other believers point that out to me and say, Nathan, you're not loving that person well. You need to step into their life and love them. And vice versa. That community is essential because we have been created for it, we are commanded to it, and we become who God has created us to be while experiencing community with both God and each other. This community of believers is not going to be perfect. It's not going to be an easy experience. 
And I'm not even just talking about home groups at Hope or community groups. I'm talking about any place that you would experience community with other believers, anywhere. It does not have to be even here at Hope. But we have to come to the realization that relationships are hard. My marriage with Cassie is hard, not because we don't love each other, but because it's hard. People are messy. There are going to be perceived inconveniences. There's still going to be drama at times. There's going to be times where you feel like you're being constrained for time and you feel like you just don't have enough time. And yet that's why he says that all of this is being done in and through his love. That it's not up to us to be the, the cause for any of those things to happen. It's up to the love that he has for us to be the catalyst for community in our life. So while I'm saying that it does not have to be experienced here, that you're not created for community at Hope Fellowship, I, I think Hope Fellowship can be an easy place to where you can experience community with other believers because if you look around, there are probably some other believers in this room today. And we want to show a video just because we think it's powerful. and It's a story video of two couples who are experiencing a deeper level of community with God and with each other through home groups here at Hope. Once again, this is not a commercial. This is just a call in our life, wherever you may find that community, to step into that community. And so what we're going to do is we're going to watch this video, and then we're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to come back up and we're going to close. But um, if we can go ahead and play this video, thank you. Hey everyone, I'm Austin Bowen. And I'm Hannah Bowen. And today we just want to share a little bit about our experience with being in a home group with you guys. Hi, I'm David Carter. I'm Lari. We have been uh, home group leaders since for, for about a year and a half now. Um, and honestly, it's, it's the biggest way that we stay connected to, to folks in the church. So I've been coming to Hope for about eight years now. Um, and I joined the worship team pretty much as soon as I got there, <laughs> and that's been an incredible experience, um, you know, all, all kinds of ages and walks of life and histories. Yeah, and I have a really similar story. I started coming to Hope in the fall of 2015 and pretty much immediately joined the worship team because I love music, um, and through that made some incredible connections, some lifelong friends, uh, Literally lifelong in your case. Um, that's how I met Austin. Yeah. So when we moved to Anderson, we had a lot of trouble getting connected in the community. I think I went about six months only knowing one person. And so when we started going to Hope Fellowship, it, it was a pretty instant connection. And uh, we were invited to the gas, Young Gaskew home group. And uh, it was a great connection. And we've been plugged in ever since. And that's when it really started to feel like we were in a home and not just a new city. We came together with people who were in a similar walk uh, in life as us and a similar place in their journey and tend to have a lot of similar questions and struggles and difficulties, but uh, we didn't initially all come together as a home group because we were necessarily really good friends before. We had been going to church maybe a few weeks and just approached Mark and Reba and said, hey, we want to go out and have coffee with you guys. Find out what's going on in your history and just everything. And they said, great. Our son, Brad, or Marcy, I don't remember who came, uh, you know, they're just about y'all's age. They'll join us. And we said, okay, sure. And so while we were there, they just said, y'all should be in small group together. And we're like, yeah, sure. And we kind of just jumped in. So it was kind of thrown at us, uh, but we love that. 
we knew the people in our home group, but what was different was that even though we didn't have those close-knit friendships to begin with, we started with the understanding that we were making this commitment to each other to spend time with one another, to support one another, because that's what God has called each of us to do. One of my favorite things about being in a home group is that whenever I do have a problem, whether it's uh, something in our marriage that we might be struggling with, or it's just something personal I'm going through, I know that I have a firm group of friends that I can share that struggle with, and they, they won't judge me for it, and I know that they can give me sound advice as well, rather than just feeding into some negative energy I might be having. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge introvert. You could stick me in a room all day and I'd be fine. Um, but it's something I knew that I needed was some form of consistent community. You know, something that was sort of a big holdup for me was time. Like, I'm, I'm really guarded about my time and what, what I uh, spend it on. And so I was sort of concerned that it would be just another thing that I'd be locked into or something like that. Um, but when I finally you know, jumped into it, um, it, it's totally the opposite of that. It's like, I actually do like seeing these people <laughs> and look forward to seeing these people um, you know, every week or however often we end up meeting. Um, and it's been a really valuable experience for me, definitely. The church, I can slip in and out and say hey to people and be cordial, and that's all I have to do other than listen. Um, but being in that closer knit community um, in our home kind of it keeps me accountable, but it also uh, kind of keeps my mind like uh, where I where it should be in the first place. Yeah. So one big advantage of uh, joining a home group is that it's it's smaller than most groups you might be in, so you get to really get to know the people that you're with and what they like, what they don't like, what they're dealing with in life. Um, Whereas in a bigger group, it's easier to just kind of be anonymous almost. I love coming on Sundays, but I love having people over to my house even more and getting to, to drink coffee and eat cookies and uh, talk about what, what God is doing with us at the moment or uh, what's just kind of what's going on in each other's lives. When you're with your friends in your home, it's uh, just a really special way to connect with each other on a deeper level to physically bring people into your life and, and share your home and a meal with them. Sometimes you have to be bold enough to, to seek it out and ask, where can I help and where can I get plugged in? And you don't have to lead to be plugged in. You can join yeah. and be plugged in just as easy. We know that God uses community in such a special way. We've been able to see it firsthand in our own lives, uh, and we just want that same thing for you as well. in the wrong spot. Anyways, uh, it's a powerful video and you can replace home groups and all of that with just a body of believers or just Christians. And maybe even right now you're in a season where you feel like you're not ready to step into that and that's fine because there are seasons where maybe we need to experience this corporate setting before we can truly know and understand all that we are supposed to do in that personal and intimate setting that is what we call a home group. And once again, it doesn't have to be a home group. It doesn't have to be a community group. It can be a group of believers who are coming together under the name of Christ. They're coming together because Christ is enough to bring them together.
is something for us to reflect on. It's something for us to, to be challenged with, to know that we are created for community, to be known and loved by other people and to be known and loved by God, and that we are commanded to it by Jesus, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Would you guys all stand as we sing this last song?